and welcome to Undercover Dad, a podcast that looks at 1970s Detroit through the experiences of an undercover ATF agent. I'm your host, Joe Vince, and assistant editor with Officer Magazine. This podcast is a time capsule that provides a snapshot of what it was like to be in law enforcement and work undercover in a major U.S. city over 50 years ago. We'll see how far police work has come in that time, and if we're doing our job right, we hope you're able to take away a few lessons that you can apply to your work in the field today. This is also a passion project for me because the undercover agent providing those firsthand experiences happens to be my dad, Joe Vince Jr. Back in the 1970s, he was an agent just beginning his nearly 30-year career with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. They hadn't added explosives to the name yet, working first in Detroit and then in Flint, Michigan. During his time with the agency, he also worked in Omaha, Nebraska, Washington, D.C., Miami, and Chicago. He helped create ATF's Crime Gun Analysis Branch and became its first chief before retiring. Currently, he teaches at Mount St. Mary's University in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and he is also the president of Crime Gun Solutions, a company he co-founded. With the introductions out of the way, let's jump right into things. Welcome back. It's been a bit since the last episode of Undercover Dad, but we're here again. And this time we have our first guest to the podcast. Um, as I had mentioned in the last episode, we're going to be talking a little bit with, um, I guess you could call her undercover mom, my mother, Mary Ellen Vince. Um, mom, how you doing? I'm doing great. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, what it was like to be um the wife of an undercover ATF agent, my father, Joseph Vince Jr. And, uh, you know, some of the adjustments and some of the um, the things that uh, went through your life at that time. And we're going to be focusing on one particular incident, too. But to, to start out, I, Mom, tell me a little bit about uh, what that was like when 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 dad told you that he was going to be an ATF agent. And then when he told you that uh, he was going to be working undercover in, in Detroit, Michigan in, at the time. Well, it was exciting. Number one, we were getting ready to get married. And, you know, the idea that he was going to be a federal agent, it, there was excitement. But I came from a small town in Ohio and grew up very protected and naive. So I wasn't, I really didn't know what was ahead for me. I found out very soon and yeah, it was an adjustment, but there was excitement. I was actually moving away from home to be with the man I loved and, you know, the idea of starting a family and just being in a new place was exciting. And, and you're, you're what, 22, 23? I'm 22. I just finished college. So, um, what was in your mind? Um, what did that? What did you envision? He his job would entail. What um, kind of? What did you imagine? Was it was it sort of like what you had seen on TV and on cop shows, or th or did you have a better sense of that? Well, I don't think there was as many cop shows back then. So, but you know, I understood policing from your grandfather, his dad. And, you know, it, it was more small town. So what he explained to me, hours might be different, but, you know, it, it might be long hours, but, you know, it wasn't going to be constant that if you work so many, I, I think we were both learning as things went along. But I, I did see that, oh, okay, this was a good job. There was stability in it. And your other grandfather, my dad, he really looked into it. And he was absolutely ecstatic that uh, your dad was going into this profession because of the prestige coming, you know, from little Gerard and that he was going to be doing something that was going to be so useful and helpful. When did it 
uh, hit you that, um, for lack of a better word, the danger that would be involved? Once we actually got to Detroit and cases started coming and dad, you know, started telling me as much as he could about what he was doing. But there was always, I still, I was probably more afraid for him than for myself because, you know, he always said though, you know, when you go on a federal raid or doing things, there's a lot of planning, a lot more so than when he was with the sheriff's department, that everything was planned and there was a better avenue for safety. And um, so tell me in this um, pre-cell phone age, kind of how you were able to to stay in touch with him and, and uh, you know, just, I don't want to say check up, but, you know, make sure everything was okay when, when you weren't necessarily maybe hearing from him. It was not easy. Um, and I was, you know, at home and there you didn't have access to each other. If you called the office, he was probably not in an office. He was out doing either investigations or, you know, there was something else going on. They didn't sit at a desk constantly. And um, if he was going to be gone for a period of time, a lot of times one of the other agents might check in, but that didn't always happen. So it was just something you learned to live with, you know, and when he was doing some big cases, a lot of times I would actually call hospitals <laughs> to see if uh, Joseph Vince had, you know, then the HIPAA wasn't in effect. So <laughs> you could find out if, okay, if he was admitted when things got a little too long, or I'd call other agents' wives, hey, did you hear from your husband? So there was, you know, there were ways we thought of mm -hmm. to exactly, you know, find out what was going on. Uh, was there a bit of a, a phone tree among um, agent wives and families? Not really. Um, a lot of times, like I would know the ones he worked closest with and there were there weren't it wasn't like we went down the line, but you you went to the ones that you knew the best or that you knew would be in more contact, you know, with them. And those are the ones that we would call. We had some that, you know, we got pretty close knit just to because we were all worried about the same thing. Where were our husbands? Were they safe? And have you heard from them? Did that excitement that you initially have then start to um, wear down and, and change into um, more worry then? Uh, did it start weighing on, weighing on you more? I think once we started having children. So okay. once you were born, then things really started to set in. So it wasn't just the two of us. Now there were three and then four and five. <laughs> so it uh, then it was, you know, um, that's when I called hospitals more. That's when we started to um, get to the point where, all right, if I don't hear from you, you've got to have a way of letting me know. And that wasn't always possible. So that's when we got this 24 hour rule wait 24 hours before you panic. And really after having, you know, children, that's when it really hit home. Wow. This is for real. I, and I, I'd like to talk about one of those uh, for real instances. Um, in the last episode, we, we alluded to and, and left off with um, a shooting dad that uh, you were involved with and in, in which you were wounded. Um uh, let, let's talk about that. I, I'd want you to start out. Give me a little background on 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 what the um, what that incident was, how that uh, that transpired, uh, and and walk me through that. Well, yes, uh, I acquired a federal search warrant for a, as I recall, now this is off my memory, but yeah. I think it was a ninth floor apartment uh, in a upscale neighborhood in Southfield, Michigan. And we executed the search warrant uh, based on a very, I think, very good plan. At the time we had 
uh, an informant who was advising us how many people were in the apartment. And uh, we had sufficient uh, manpower, both uniformed officers, as well as ATF agents and a DEA agent that accompanied us. We uh, executed the warrant and the people that uh, had the RAM uh, had ballistic vests on, which at that time were not like they are today. They were much larger and heavier. And uh, I knocked on the door and announced three times who we were to open up and we could hear a lot of uh, running and wrestling, uh, rustle noise in the apartment, at which time I advised the people with the RAM to break in the door, which they did. And since it was a, a large apartment, the, the first uh, way into the door went into the kitchen. And if you went to the left, it went to the living area. And myself and another agent went uh, right through to the kitchen area, around to the, the, to the living area. And uh, there was an individual there, which uh, the other agent uh, apprehended. And then uh, I went to the uh, area that was blocked off that had the bathroom and had a, a bedroom. And I announced who we were again. And the individual said, who are you? I said, we're police federal agents. Uh, come out with your hands up. And then I started around uh, the corner. And at that time, the individual opened fire and it hit me in the hand, uh, but just a graze. And then it went uh, through the door jam, the front door. And at that time, there was an agent who uh, pushed a Southfield uniformed officer out of the way. And when he turned uh, to look at where the shot was being fired, he was struck in the face with a 357 Magnum uh, firearm ammunition. At that time, I didn't, <clears throat> excuse me, that was to my back and I didn't know that I returned fire and uh, I then hunched down to again uh, address the, uh, the subject. And at that time, the subject, I said that I was coming out, don't shoot. I said, okay, come out with your hands up. Uh, and he did. And uh, at that time, we were told there were three people in, in the apartment and I thought there might be another person in the bedroom. So I laid <clears throat> that subject down and <clears throat> told him not to move. And I put a chair over him so I could look uh, and see if there was and secure the bedroom area, which I did and, and found a, a 357 Magnum revolver on the bed and a box of ammunition. <clears throat> and then I went and handcuffed uh, that individual that was laying on the floor and that's the at which time the uh, other agents advised me that uh, the agent had been shot in the face my fellow agent and uh, he was dragged uh, from that area as I was there was an exchange of gunfire and uh, by by another agent and into the hallway <clears throat> I went out there to see him and he was lucid um, he, he said, uh, I'll never forget it. He said, Joey, it looks pretty bad. I said, no, nah, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You're okay. So he, he was, you know, talking to me, but he was bleeding profusely through the face. The ambulances were called and first aid was being administered as, as best they could at that time. <clears throat> I went back in because other agents had, were holding the two suspects there. We were cordoning off the area as to execute the warrant and control the crime scene, but certainly we wanted first aid to be administered to the agent first. That was our paramount. Uh, and, and paramedics were on the scene within minutes, and then he left there to the hospital. As we started to uh, see how we we're going to execute the warrant and go about that business there, uh, along with now Southfield, uh, homicide detectives arrived because it had been a shooting. And that's when um, other agents said, hey, you're, you're bleeding pretty bad from your hand. Do you know that? And adrenaline would pumping and I didn't, and, and I was. And so uh, at that time, uh, I was ordered to go to the hospital for treatment and the other agents uh, finished the search warrant, et cetera. What happened to the other agent? 
miraculously, uh, the physician who treated him said that if he had, it, it went through, uh, I, I believe the left um, area below the eye, uh, probably just below the, the bone, their cheekbone there. And if it had gone middle, you know, slight centimeters either way, he would either been brain dead or had been killed, but it went and lodged in the back of his head. And so it, it, it didn't cause a lot of major damage. However, he had major surgery. He had uh, a lot of problems with bleeding. I know after several weeks when they allowed his children to come in and see him in the hospital, that excitement uh, blew out all of the gauze in his nose and he started bleeding, which certainly his kids went running from the room. So it was it was very traumatic. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how he really survived from that, but he did. And uh, subsequently, there was a trial and and uh, the the person was found guilty and sentenced to penitentiary. And so you're at the hospital. What um, what's going on then? Um, this is the first time you, you know, I'm I'm assuming um, been injured uh, on the job. W what's kind of going through your mind? Well, my concern really was with the agent that had been shot. And and oddly enough, we were I got there. I was put into the, uh, a, a bed in the emergency room, which was next to him. And, and we were talking. So I I felt good about that. But uh, they whisked him away uh, for other treatment, and um, they um, took care of my hand and bandaged it up uh, and told me how to take care of that. But they also were concerned that I had hurt my knee at that time, and it was uh, it, it swelled up a, a great deal, and they wanted to x-ray that. And so I was taken to the x-ray room for x-rays. And at that time, uh, another fellow agent who went in the ambulance with uh, with the the other agent that had been shot, and now was at the hospital, and he came in to see me, and I, I told him to uh, call his wife, and he'd already called his wife and had her go over to uh, our house to be with your mom, and. Uh, then he called directly from the hospital. He called your mom and uh, explained what had happened and said, I was fine. But your mother said, no, I'm coming there. And he said, no, you really don't do that. There's no necessity. He's not going to be here that long. But that didn't satisfy. He said, I have to talk to him. So while I was in the x-ray room, somehow, I, I don't know how he did it, but he he pull a phone in there so I could talk to your mom and tell and just, her that I was okay. And, and just for, for those who might be a little younger, phones did not have, or were not cordless at this point. <laughs> the, mm. th this was it, to get a phone somewhere that wasn't already there was, was a, it was a bit of an operation, quite of a feat. So. Yes. Yes, it was. And, and I, I think everybody in the hospital knew how important that call was and, and helped to facilitate it happening. And I, I think that reassured her that I was okay. Cause I was able to talk to her the same as the agent talked to me and hearing a voice is reassuring. So mom, tell me what that was like, you know, what time of day was this when, um, when the wife of this other agent had come to the house and what kind of was was happening with you well she actually uh, came after i got the call she was okay. on her way so um it was the agent calling me first and i was a little more adamant than what your dad just explained because he said look i'm, I'm going to bring him home he's I, I said i am not getting off this phone to you you know, let me talk to him. And that's when he decided there, there has to be a way to do this. So, and his wife arrived soon after that. And yeah, I just needed to be able to hear his voice. So I knew he was okay. And the funny thing was that it was, I mean, I was feeding you, you were in your high chair i'll never forget that and i had looked at the clock not you know i knew they were doing a raid 
because mm-hmm. he, you know, he didn't tell me specifics. And I had just a funny feeling that day. I have never felt that way, almost like a premonition. But, you know, you put it out of your head and you just keep taking care of your little one. So the call was surprising, but there was a part of me that almost knew something was going to happen. What finally, I I guess, convinced you, all right, I, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm going to stay here and, and, and wait. Oh, hearing his voice. Oh, okay. Once I heard your dad, I could, you know, um, the, when they did finally get home, though, you know, after saying he's okay, he comes in and there had to be about 10 pounds of gauze around this. It was like, oh, it's just nothing. It's little. It didn't look little when he came home. So I right away was, oh, my gosh, what's really, you know, but I knew he was okay then. So it was okay. So talk to me a little bit about in between that time, between the phone call and, and when he got home, uh, you know, after you had, had heard him on, heard his voice and, and before he got home, um, what what was that like for you? What was going through your head and, and what were you talking about with with the other agent's wife? Well, you know, when your dad says he's OK and I could tell by his voice that, yes, he was all right and that he was coming home. I was a calmer and having the agent's wife there, just having another adult who understood you can have neighbors, but unless you have a wife that's in law enforcement, they don't totally understand. It's hard for them to understand what you're feeling. She did. And, you know, she just reassured, you know, that her husband had said he was fine. So, you know, everyone's saying he's fine and they were on their way home. So I felt better. And what type of perspective was she able to give to you? Well, we were both actually, uh, both her husband and and your dad, they had gotten on to um, with ATF at the same time, pretty much the same time. So we were pretty new to this. Both of us were. So we could just relate back and forth, you know, oh, okay, you know, it, it is worrisome. Yeah, you get afraid that what's going to happen you know, you, you trust that everything will go okay, but it's always there. It's just a part of our lives now. And, and that was hard to accept at first, that this is, this is the path we're going. And that was my first real realization that, wow, yeah, things can happen even with the best laid plans. So now that that excitement that you talked about initially has, has really turned into something different. Did you then feel like, okay, I don't know if I want him doing this job, especially now with 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 a child. Um, th- this is this is real stuff. Oddly enough, no, it didn't, okay. <laughs> because I mean, I knew this was something that i mean you have to have these type of people you have to have law enforcement police officers people that risk their lives every day somebody has to do it and because of the kind of person your dad was and is and and it's one of the things that drew me to him he always looked out for the other person he always made us feel like we would always be safe and that's one of the reasons we never lived, say, when he was working in Detroit. We lived, you know, 40 miles away from Detroit or, or you know, we always lived when he worked in Miami. We were always away from where he actually worked. And that was to always keep us safe. Yeah, my biggest worry was, will he be safe? And, you know, I think that's where your faith And everything comes into play because, yeah, you have to believe that we have the angels watching over him. And I I truly believe that, you know, you make the right decisions before you jump into something and you, you think smart, act smart and pray to God that 
that he's safe. And you, and that's what we did every day. So it sounds also like there was a, um, even though you might not have known the ins and outs of, of his training or, or, or what he did to prepare while he was on the job, it sounded like there was a trust and you knew the type of person he was and he, he wasn't going to, um, to unnecessarily put himself in danger. Correct. And you bring up training. Yeah, they are well-trained. He was well-trained. Um, you know, he was smart and he cared for all of us, for the family and for other people and protecting. And the only way you can protect other people, protect yourself as well. And I, I, I think this was the profession he was meant to be in. Dad, um, what was... What was going through your mind as far as um, this is the first time where, um, a, you know, it wasn't serious, but you've, you've been uh, injured on the job. Um, you have this family at home. Um, you have that responsibility. Um, did, did you have then, I don't want to say necessarily second thoughts, but um, maybe questioning how you're able to balance doing your job well, but also being, being you know, having, carrying that responsibility of, of, of being a husband and a father. Looking back at the time of what I remember, a lot was on my mind about what could I have done to prevent that other agent from getting hurt. Is there something that I could have done that really weighed heavily on my mind at the time? And I think that uh, it, one thing it taught me and that I carried over in, in all of what I did with ATF, especially when I was a team leader for the national response team. So after we finish any kind of, uh, of action to, to look back and say, okay, what, what could we have done? better and and what did we do well that we want to continue and and that's been my motto and and that's what i try to teach people now that you always look at that uh, and and obviously safety is is got to be paramount in every every aspect of this job and it, it's and it is getting harder because there's a lot more uh, out there that can affect officers and i think that that we had back in the 1970s especially with um uh, fentanyl and, and and other diseases that are coming about that officers have to deal with. So, no, I I I don't think I had a lot uh, of worrying that you know about the family or, or anything. And I, I a lot of that had to do with we were we had large families that supported us and and always have, and we try to do that with 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 you and and. And, uh, and and Kim and, and Mike, and, and that's important. I think if you know that, then that gives you a, a peace of mind. And I see that with a lot of police officers uh, that, you know, they have not only within their ranks, but good families that do support them. Unfortunately, if I had to go to too many, too many police funerals over the years and, uh, but that's the one thing overall you see is that support system that exists, not only from other people in the profession, but from their families, knowing how important it is that the work that, 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 they're, that they're doing. That, that second guessing you talked about uh, on the job, um, how did you sort of, I, I guess, overcome that or, or, make sure that it didn't just you didn't obsess on it that you weren't beating yourself up between the other agent between yourself as far as i you know i i, I could i should have done this that um you know was it easy to to just say hey i you know we did everything right this still happened so be it oh no i was fortunate because back in the 70s we didn't have the resources that are available uh, to police officers today that didn't probably start till the, the so well into the eighties where you had peer support, you had uh, professionals that would help you through this. But again, I, and I think I mentioned this before, I was very fortunate because your grandfather, my dad was a police officer 
And he understood this. And not only that, uh, he had seen a lot of uh, uh, death and, and ugliness in World War II in combat. And, and, and he brought that to bear, too. And he, he, right away <clears throat> from that day, <clears throat> excuse me, for weeks, I think your grandfather and I had conversations and he would talk to me and, and put things in, in the right perspective and what the focus should be. And I think that really uh, helped me through this. It helped me to understand what was going on because it was my first experience like this. You can find the Undercover Dad podcast at Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. And while you're doing that, also check out Officer Magazine's new Officer Roll Call podcast. Stay safe and see you next time. Thank you.